0: To this endo life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo warrior and endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And you know, if you love the patches themselves, you're gonna love the bath bombs because essentially Before we dive in today, I just wanted to let you guys know that I am holding two free workshops on the 15th and 16th of February, 7 p.m. GMT. So both days are gonna be at 7 p.m. And they are my signature workshops. So my how to create a roadmap for endo healing, obviously in 2022, last year it was in 2021. But this time it's the foundations edition. So just like always, this workshop is going to give you a step-by-step guide for creating your own path to live in and thrive with endo, but this time I'm covering the core foundations. And so this workshop is perfect for anyone who is feeling like overwhelmed about managing endo, who's new to managing endo, who just wants to dip their toes in or needs some help getting back on track. Whatever it is, this is a foundational workshop. It's a workshop that is going to lay out the key foundational steps that I've seen change lives without the overwhelm and confusion. So it's not going to be like there's so many steps to get to healing. It's going to be like, okay, what are the main steps that you need to take that are going to help you to change your life with endo in the shortest time possible? So that's what this is. It's like a shortcut to the essentials. And it's a brilliant way to get started with managing endo. So if you would like to come along, the workshop is free. It's about an hour to two hours long. I always run over because I end up answering lots of questions at the end. So probably give yourself two hours. The link to sign up is in the show notes and I look forward to seeing you guys there. This is always a really, really popular workshop. Um, There's always like couple hundred who sign up and people love it. So I really encourage you to come along. It's become my kind of signature free workshop that I really enjoy giving to you guys. And I've now tweaked it to do this kind of foundational version for you guys. So um, I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. Just a trigger warning before we start this episode, I do refer to pregnancy, pregnancy complications and difficulties throughout the episode in relation to progesterone. They're fairly brief, but it does come up a couple of times. So feel free to skip this episode if that is a trigger for you. It might be helpful if you are having problems because progesterone can be a key, uh, can be a root to some of these problems, but equally it may be triggering. So I understand if you need to skip this episode. So last week we talked about estrogen. And so today, clearly I'm going to move on to the other predominant hormone in the menstrual cycle, and that is progesterone. So let's get started. Progesterone is famous for fluffing up the uterine lining in the second half of your menstrual cycle, which occurs after ovulation. And this phase is called the luteal phase. Now, when we say fluffing up, progesterone is essentially further preparing the uterine lining to allow for implantation of a fertilized egg, whilst halting estrogen's effect of cell proliferation, which thickens the uterine lining. Now, cell proliferation just means the multiplying of cells And keep that in mind because it's going to be relevant to endometriosis later on. If the egg is fertilized, progesterone will begin stimulating a steady blood supply to the uterine lining to nourish the egg via the formation of new blood vessels. And additionally, it will trigger the release of nutrients from glands hidden in the endometrial lining, which is just another fancy word for the uterine lining. It will also prevent uterine cramping so that the egg can stay nice and secure and plays an absolutely essential role in maintaining the endometrial lining and pregnancy throughout. Now, progesterone is a muscle relaxant, which is to further support pregnancy by allowing the muscles of our pelvis to open and stretch as the abdomen begins to expand with pregnancy. However, because it is a muscle relaxant, it also relaxes the intestines, which slows down the intestinal motility leading to fewer bowel movements. In people who already have gut issues, which let's face it, is most of us with endo, this can then lead to constipation in the second half of the cycle. Progesterone is also immune-suppressing, and this is so the immune system doesn't reject a potential implanted egg by seeing it as a foreign invader. Coupled with elevated levels of inflammation that build from ovulation to menstruation, we might end up feeling like we have flu, in the luteal phase if we don't keep our immune system strong and we don't keep inflammation down. This is what you may have heard of as the period flu or PMS flu. But that's not all. Progesterone plays a huge role in the brain and nervous system health. Firstly, it actually protects and repairs the fatty layer that wraps around the end of nerve fibres. These are called myelin sheaths. Though remembering the name is not what's important, I'm just giving you that name, but you don't you don't need to memorize it. What's important is that progesterone allows these to stay intact and functioning, and these mining sheaths support proper communication between brain neurons, otherwise known as nerve cells, which allow for healthy cognitive function and communication between the brain and the nervous system. Think about myelin sheaths like a sheath on a long sword. The nerve fibre is the sword, the sheath is the fatty layer. And if that sheath starts to get worn down, the sword will be exposed in places and may start to get blunted or rusty. So we don't want that to be happening to our brain neurons. The next way that progesterone supports brain and nervous system health is through its effect on GABA, the calming neurotransmitter. When progesterone is used up in the body, it produces a metabolite, which is just a byproduct of progesterone being used. It's sort of what progesterone is transformed into once it's done its job. So this metabolite is called allopregnenolone, and allopregnenolone binds to GABA receptors. Now think of receptors as as a a lock and key. The receptor is a lock in a cell, whilst the keys are GABA or, or allopregnenolone. The binding of allopregnanolone to a GABA receptor actually enhances the soothing effects of GABA, creating a sedative-like response which can improve sleep, calm anxiety, and generally soothes both the body and the mind. Progesterone also helps protect us from breast and uterine cancer, supports bone density and heart health, and it plays a star role in ovulation. The production of progesterone is essential to kicking off the last hormonal change that aids in ovulation. Finally, progesterone raises our temperature, which is why when using the fertility awareness method for tracking your cycle, you'll use a basal body thermometer to take your temperature upon waking. So before ovulation, your temperature will be about 36.11 to 36.50 degrees Celsius. After ovulation, it should rise to 36.55 to 36.58. If your temperature jumps up and stays there for three days in a row, you've ovulated. And this temperature change should be sustained and then it will drop just before your period as your progesterone levels drop. So it's actually quite a nice way to know if you're going to be starting your period that day. So just like estrogen, you can clearly see that progesterone is integral Hormone to overall health; it affects so many areas, and these are just some of the kind of top layers. Progesterone affects so many other things in our body. Now you know the benefits of progesterone. Let's look at how it's made and its patterns during the menstrual cycle. Progesterone is made in something called the corpus luteum. The corpus luteum is a short-term gland made from the follicle, which the chosen egg ovulates from, and this transformation occurs as ovulation takes place, so midway through your cycle. If the chosen egg becomes fertilised, the corpus luteum will continue to make progesterone to sustain the pregnancy for the first three months of the cycle. If levels aren't high enough, this is when miscarriage can occur. It's why whenever my clients are having trouble conceiving or have miscarried, I like to keep checking their progesterone levels because shockingly, this is not something that is standardly done by doctors in relation to this, not until at least recurrent miscarriages have occurred. And I have actually spoken to dr carrie jones about this when i was training with nicole Jardim, dr carrie jones came on uh for q a Q&A and i asked her why don't doctors test progesterone um because at the time she uh was like um head i'm not sure what she had something at uh dutch labs and she said she thinks it's because they are standard once someone has miscarried a certain amount of times so they're just going to stand lee prescribe progesterone anyway, so they don't even bother testing it, which just sounds insanity to me because you could solve so much if you knew someone's progesterone levels were low. But anyway, side note. Um I will always test progesterone levels in clients who have miscarried or who are having trouble with pregnancy. Um, now After the first trimester, the progesterone supply comes from the umbilical cord. It's no longer made in the corpus luteum, but the first three months it is. So we really need to make sure that that corpus luteum is healthy. Now, if fertilization doesn't occur, progesterone will be made for between 11 to 17 days post ovulation. And then it will drop sharply just before your period, triggering the shedding of the uterine lining. Progesterone goes on to stay low during the menstrual and follicular phases of the menstrual cycle, with estrogen dominating during this time, as you learned last week, and then progesterone dominates after ovulation, as I just explained. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. So what happens if there's a problem with progesterone and why would that occur? The biggest imbalance we see with progesterone is low levels of progesterone. Like estrogen dominance, there can be two ways that low progesterone occurs. So one would be that your progesterone levels are actually normal but are low in contrast to oestrogen, creating an oestrogen dominance effect. Remember, this would only occur in the second half of your cycle when progesterone is supposed to be higher than oestrogen. We don't want progesterone higher than oestrogen in the first half of your cycle. That would be problematic. And actually, you wouldn't ovulate. Progesterone would blunt ovulation in that case. Or you could actually have low levels of progesterone itself. So your levels are actually low. It's not just low in relation to estrogen. So let's look at the first scenario briefly. This would, of course, occur from elevated levels of estrogen, in which case we need to look at what could be affecting that. And we covered those points last week. So go back and refresh yourself on those if you're not sure. So what if you have low levels of progesterone? What if your levels are actually low? The key culprit would be because of lack of ovulation. If we're not ovulating, the main follicle doesn't get a chance to turn into corpus luteum and then produce progesterone. The number one cause of lack of ovulation is some kind of physical or emotional stressor. This occurs because stress hormones like cortisol actually suppress the release of GNRH, which is short for gonadotropin-releasing hormone. GNRH is essential to get the menstrual cycle moving. It essentially tells the pituitary glands to make follicle stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. And follicle stimulating hormone is essential for the growth of the chosen follicle, whilst luteinizing hormone is vital to ovulation. When GNRH is suppressed, so are these. And so of course is ovulation and the resulting progesterone levels. Additionally, cortisol also further prevents ovulation by making the ovaries resistant to the effects of follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. Now, even if ovulation still does manage to occur, the downstream suppression of LH and follicle-stimulating hormone can still lower progesterone production. And finally, cortisol actually binds to progesterone receptors, meaning even if progesterone is made, it then can't go on and do its job in the body and is essentially just kind of floating around with nowhere to go and nothing to do. Now remember, as we've talked about last week, a stressor doesn't have to be an actual stressor in your life. It could be inflammation from SIBO or lack of nutrients from under-eating or having SIBO or it could be over-exercising or stress from living in chronic pain. It could be a myriad of things. Now, if you have managed to ovulate and stress isn't an issue, but you have low levels of progesterone, you may have something called luteal face insufficiency, which is essentially where the corpus luteum is unable to make enough progesterone. Whilst there may be numerous causes, and it's always best to work with a practitioner if you're struggling with this, I commonly see this to be a problem in my clients who are unable to absorb enough nutrients from their food due to SIBO, or who have lots of diarrhoea from SIBO, so they're underweight. They basically aren't taking in enough nutrients to create healthy follicles. That, That and stress, those are kind of two key things that I see dampening progesterone output. Another cause... Would be thyroid issues, whether that's hyperthyroidism or hypothyroidism. Both can affect ovulation and progesterone output. Other conditions can affect ovulation and ultimately progesterone production too, like PCOS and high levels of the hormone prolactin. Now, that is the hormone that makes breast milk, but it can actually become a problem and be too high in people who aren't pregnant as well. So you can get that. You can get that tested if you're concerned about your progesterone levels. Finally, progestin IUDs can also create lower progesterone overall. So that's IUDs that are not copper. So the hormonal IUDs. Progestin is not progesterone and therefore it does work differently in the body. And whilst you might have been told that the IUD doesn't stop ovulation, It does for many in at least the first year of use, and then ovulation tends to uh, come back in the majority of cases. Symptoms of low progesterone may sound familiar because of course, once we have low progesterone, we also have estrogen dominance. So it might sound like last week's symptom list. So here are some of the signs. Heavy periods, PMS, tender breasts, especially before your period, missing periods, shorter cycles, indicating that progesterone wasn't around long enough to have a full luteal phase, irregular cycles, miscarriages or fertility struggles, low moods, especially anxiety, anger and irritability in the second half of your cycle, and breakthrough bleeding in the luteal phase. Now, when it comes to progesterone, low progesterone is the most common issue we see, So much so that going through all of my courses to write this episode, I realised we don't even cover high progesterone levels. However, Dr. Jolene Brighton briefly covers the symptoms of high progesterone in her blog post on on hormonal imbalances. So I'm going to credit her in the show notes, and you can get the link to that um, article there. But here are the symptoms from her. Irritability, feeling tearful, sore breasts... Headaches and tiredness. High progesterone levels can be caused by progesterone cream, which is a common treatment used by many people with endometriosis. And according to an evidence based article by Clue, the the app, high progesterone can also be caused by congenital adrenal hyperplasia, ovarian cysts, certain ovarian tumours, and pregnancy complications. Because this is not my area of expertise, I've linked to a couple of evidence-based articles on high progesterone in the show notes for you to do further reading, but it is unlikely to be a problem for you. So how does progesterone affect endometriosis? Firstly, we have the obvious issue that progesterone counteracts the proliferating effects of estrogen. So without enough progesterone, there is a risk that estrogen will go unchecked and could encourage endometriosis growth. However, this is a slightly simplistic view because some endometriosis cells are resistant to the effects of progesterone, so it wouldn't make a difference, and some do not even have the progesterone receptors at all, so progesterone literally cannot act on those specific cells. So it's a little bit too simplistic to say, like, estrogen proliferates and progesterone counteracts it. it there's it's more to it than that. The other benefit of progesterone is that it is immunosuppressive. And we know that there is significant immune dysfunction in endometriosis, where certain immune cells are creating excessive levels of inflammation, but are doing a poor job of cleaning the endometriosis up. So having sufficient progesterone levels can potentially help quiet some of that excessive inflammation in the second half of the cycle. Now, finally, research shows that progesterone can inhibit the formation of new blood vessels to their endolesions, which are essential to their growth and development. I have to say, I want to do more research into this because it's almost a little bit counterintuitive because we know that progesterone supplies new blood vessels to the uterine lining. So it's interesting that it doesn't do that with the endometriosis cells. So I am gonna do more research into that myself, but this is what we know from the research at the moment. Now, of course, indirectly, If you already have gut issues related to your endometriosis because you have SIBO or adhesions or gut dysbiosis, then the natural rise of progesterone in the second half of your cycle can cause constipation. The answer isn't to suppress progesterone, as I hope you can already see the benefits of it, but it's more to support your gut. And this could look like different things depending on what's going on with your body. If you have adhesions affecting the transition of food through the gut, Daily massage like the I love you massage or the RV or RVGO massage can make a huge difference. And I see this work so well with many of my constipated clients. And I've linked two resources of both of these in the show notes. If it's SIBO related or gut dysbiosis related, obviously taking the necessary steps to heal the gut is essential. But in the short term, in the second phase of your cycle, you can use some of the symptomatic relief strategies which I outline in episode 169 and I've linked to that in the show notes for you. Another issue that you might have with endo is a tight pelvic floor which when coupled with sluggish intestines may result in constipation. So any form of pelvic floor relaxation or movement that helps gut motility like yoga or rebounding or simply walking is going to help with that. Of course, we also have the issue that endometriosis can cause anxiety and depression. So if we have low levels of progesterone in the second half of the cycle, those conditions may feel even worse. The answer to all of this, of course, is to work on balancing your estrogen and progesterone levels with good hormonal practices, including blood sugar balancing, stress management, supporting detoxification pathways, etc. Everything I cover in this podcast in my nutrition masterclasses, in my courses and my coaching, all of that is going to help you to balance your hormones. Now, as I said last week, one of the most powerful ways to transform your hormones is with blood sugar balancing. So I would begin there. But if your biggest problem is lack of sleep, maybe that's where you start. Or if it's stress, maybe you bring in meditation. The key is we just want to make sure that you're ovulating. Whatever is preventing your ovulation, we want to make sure that you're ovulating. Now, there are a few key nutrients and some hacks for raising progesterone, and I'm going to keep that for another episode because this podcast is pretty long already. There's kind of a lot of information for you guys to process. So I'm going to keep those strategies for another episode. But initially, now, we really want to get those foundations in place rather than chasing supplements and shiny hacks that are short lived. We really want to make sure that your foundations, your hormone foundations are looking good. If you're not sure about what your progesterone is doing, you can get a simple blood test. This blood test should be taken five to seven days after ovulation. If you're not sure when you ovulated, then you can do days 19 to 22 of an average 28-day cycle. Now, remember, this is just an average. 28 days is not the perfect cycle length. It's just an average. If your cycle is much longer, then check with a test provider to find out when they suggest you do it. And a great way to actually be sure that you're ovulating is to use a fertility awareness method, which I mentioned at the beginning of the show, which uses three different markers that you can track daily to actually know for sure whether you've ovulated or not. And I've linked to a couple of resources and episodes on that in the show notes if you want to learn how to do it. Now, something to be aware of is that progesterone is released in pulses. And so sometimes you might take your blood a point where progesterone isn't being pulsed out so it sort of pulses it stops it pulses it stops it then may look like you've got low levels of progesterone if your symptoms and your test results correlate i think it's fair to say that you probably have low progesterone you could do fertility awareness tracking um, to make sure that you know check am i not ovulating if you're not ovulating your test says your levels are low your symptoms suggest they're low we clearly can assume that you've got low levels of progesterone. If you're like, hmm, that doesn't really seem right, then you could do the Dutch test. And the Dutch test is going to give you a much more accurate picture as to what's happening with your progesterone levels and your hormone levels overall. It's just a lot more expensive. You could, of course, you know, before you do that, just do another test. Do another test and see if you can get a different reading. You could maybe... I've never done this, you could maybe test like day 19, day 21, day 22 with a serum test or blood test to see like, okay, what are the kind of, what's the average readings? Are they all saying it's low? If they're all saying it's low, you know, that's very suggestive that your levels are low. I've never heard any practitioner do this. It's probably overkill, but just in case, um, you know, you want to be extra sure because this pulse-like pattern that progesterone has might give you a false So that's it. I hope you now feel confident that you understand how progesterone is made and how it affects endo and how it might be impacting you personally. If you found this episode helpful, please remember to share this with others to help others with endo in our community. And please let me know what you thought about this episode so I can make future episodes even better. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, You can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. Really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by the pod farm whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world